You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. everybody this is danny anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the sectarian review podcast um as always i am recording from mount aloysius college where i am an assistant professor of english uh in pennsylvania and uh today we're talking about a really cool old country album um recently jerry jeff walker um passed away back in october and uh michael farmer uh got uh, introduced me to one of his albums, like a seminal album from his catalog. And uh, we decided to do a show about it, joined by his father, once again, Mike Walker. And uh, so, uh, Michael, how you doing? Mike Farmer. Isn't that what I said? You said Mike Walker. Oh, <laughs> Mike Farmer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Joined Mike. by Jerry Jeff Walker's father. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, it's uh, it's early Saturday morning for me. Um, and so, yes, Mike Farmer, excuse me. Uh, Michael, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Danny? I'm doing okay, actually. So, um, uh, and Mike, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. It's great to have you back. We had, um, if you go back in the catalog of the show quite a bit, um, Mike and Michael both joined me to talk about um, Merle Haggard after he died. And, um, and it was uh, a really, really fun show. And this is actually, there's a lot, there's more than a little in common between uh, Merle Haggard and, and this particular album, actually. So I think we'll probably bring that up uh, quite a bit. So, um, but Michael, this was sort of your invention. Why don't you talk a little bit about um, Jerry Jeff Walker and who he is and why this particular album is interesting for you to talk about? Yeah. Um, Jerry Jeff Walker is probably best known for his appearance in the song Lukenbach, Texas by Waylon Jennings. It refers to Jerry Jeff's tra- Jerry Jeff's train songs at the very end of the of that song. And I mean, that's how I became aware of him. And I think of how a lot of people became aware of him. But he, he was kind of a, a, a lifer in the outlaw country scene in the 1970s. And uh, before that, he was a Greenwich Village folkie. Uh, named Ronald Crosby. His name is not Jerry Jeff Walker, and he's not from Texas. He's from upstate New York. And so I I think he's interesting because he is an example of the self-mythologization of the outlaw country scene. And, And as such, he just kind of inserts himself in the middle of it, and it works, right? So this album... Um, Viva Terlingua or Viva Terlingua, I'm not really sure how it's pronounced, is a is an album that looks like it's a live album, but it's not. Um, and it, it was recorded at the Lukenbach Dance Hall there in Lukenbach, Texas, the kind of spiritual center of the outlaw country movement. So uh, it's a great album, and he uh, he's a great songwriter, and uh, I, I hesitate to call him a great singer, but he uh, he has a unique vocal style and a I, what I take to be a fake Southern accent uh, since he is from upstate New York. And I'm very glad you guys agreed to talk to me about this record. Yeah, no, it's great. And yeah, I agree. It's almost like he's an actor performing a role of Jerry Jeff Walker, right? And uh, and and very convincingly. But yeah, it's a it's it's a fantastic album, Mike. What you're um, you've actually known this album right this is something that you actually listened to uh this isn't just a discovery for you so what is your experience with it well the album itself uh basically i didn't really get in touch with the album itself there's a couple of songs on the album that i used to listen to a lot one of them's getting by on getting by which Mm -hmm. is a to me kind of sums jerry jerry jeff's life up if you if you listen to that it sounds like his life story and it was written so long before his life story was over. <laughs> and but it's a it's a neat song. And what what I think impressed me about the album, unlike Michael, I think his vocal style is very good. I think it's it's uh it's it's a different style and it's a different timing on songs that he does uh-huh. that's, that makes it to me a little catchy the way he does it. I'm not musically inclined, so I don't really understand the timing and everything. I just know that he has the little different bridges that he does in, in things and it makes it work for him. 
it wouldn't necessarily work for everybody, but it worked for him very well. Yeah. An example for me of that is the, the transition from the verse to the chorus in Desperado's waiting for a train. Uh, it's just sort mm-hmm. of, it's, it's off, it's off rhythm, but it works in that way. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree. Well, and, and Go ahead. Danny, you and I talked about this on one of those city of man's city of men that we were on about cities of man that we were on about, uh, about the history of country music that, that so much of good vocals is not so much about being able to carry a tune as it is about the sort of phrasing you use, which is what makes somebody like Willie Nelson, a great singer, even though Willie Nelson's not a great singer. Like he, he knows when to pause and when not to, it's what makes George Jones so good. Nobody else would sing it like that. And I, I agree dad, Jerry Jeff Walker has something of that. He, 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 he has found something that works for him. Uh, and, uh, as you say, it wouldn't necessarily work for anyone else, but he's, he's not like the most traditionally good singer. You're not listening to, to uh, Bing Crosby here. You're listening to Ronald Crosby, I guess. <laughs> or not, no or not, li- uh, not listening to, uh, Waylon Jennings, right? Right. And although Waylon too, like you, you hesitate to call him a great singer or, uh, maybe, maybe what you say is he's a, he's a great singer, but he's not a good singer. There you go. Yeah, there's a there's a an appropriate there's a way in which voices like those are appropriate for the genre that they're they're working in right in the medium that they're working in. And so, yeah, and I think, yeah, you can't imagine Waylon Jennings singing, you know, pop music or something like that successfully. But you couldn't imagine a pop voice successfully carrying off Waylon Jennings's music either. Right. And, and I think the same thing is said, um, I, I can say for Jerry Jeff Walker, I, I like the voice too. I really think it's, it's very kind of almost like spoken word, um, a little bit. Um, and, and it's got this kind of, I guess folk, I guess this is him coming out of the folk movement in, in Greenwich village. Right. Um, it's got this sort of folk, um, quality to it. And, and I really enjoy it. It's very deep. It seems like something that somebody like me could sing along to. Right. Um, and, and, and successful. Not I'm not as well, but I could I could, you know, carry the same tune that he's carrying. But Danny, have you listened to any of his early folk stuff, Danny? Yeah. Like, you know, Mr. Bojangles. Um, right. That, that's That's the song he was famous for, which I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. did that song. So like what, yeah. what could be less outlaw than <laughs> writing songs for Sammy Davis Jr.? But it's a totally different voice, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't, it doesn't even sound like the same person who's doing this album that did those, those sixties folk, uh, folk songs, which I, I like what you said that he's kind of playing a role here as Jerry Jeff Walker rather than, um, rather than singing from the heart. Yeah. He, I mean, shares a lot with Bob Dylan in this way, right? There's, there's sort <laughs> of like a, a persona that he's, he's wearing. Um, and, and Dylan of course changes that persona quite frequently, but, uh, yeah. Another great singer who's not a good singer. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and I guess what I would say, what I really have appreciated about this is it's at a moment before Outlaw Country is kind of codified by that album, um, The Outlaws, that, that we talked about in that one episode of City of Man. I almost feel guilty for not bringing Coyle into the show, actually. I should have, uh, we should have thought to, uh, to bring him into the show. This almost seems like a spinoff for that, um, that series on City of Man. If you're not, if you haven't listened to that, folks, you should go back and listen to the City of Man podcast we do about country music. Um, but, um, like, Outlaw Country is still burgeoning at this point, uh, and it's not quite um, a marketable thing, right? Um, in, in for Nashville, it's still sort of a idiosyncratic movement out of Texas around Austin, right? And so you've um, you've got this kind of moment of like creative energy that's like clear and apparent in this album and you're right it's not really a live album they recorded it live in a space and a couple of songs there's an audience there but um most of it isn't right and uh, but when that audience is there there's like this real kind of like energy and i i i like the fact that there are like legitimate rednecks and legitimate hippies like communing together over this music right (laughs) and and i feel i feel like in some ways um what i really appreciated about this is it transcends the kind of simplistic identities that we like associate with everything today. Right. There's a, this is a, a, mo- a movement, a moment, excuse me, in, um, in music that really complicates these divisions in music that we're talking about. And I, I just found it to be just fascinating. It makes me think of David Allen Coe's description of his audience in long haired redneck. <laughs> the, the bikers stare at, at lawyers who are laughing at the hippies who are praying they'll get out of there alive. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and, and that's even an album or a line in the, the, the 
the signature song from this album was up against the wall redneck which is i can't stop listening to but um but yeah we'll we'll talk about that later on here um do do you guys want to talk about lukenbach um because it itself is an interesting form of mythology kind of um like i this was also my growing up listening to country music i never heard jerry jeff walker he was just never played on country radio right um and um but i did hear about it through other terms right um through um the song that you talked about michael and and i i almost feel well i don't know i don't want to say that yet but um lukenbach texas is a really interesting space and this is recorded at the dance hall in Lukenbach, Texas. Do you guys want to say a little bit about what Lukenbach is? To me, Lukenbach is kind of an invention of Willie Nelson. Mm. Without Willie mm. Nelson, we don't know who Lukenbach, we don't know what Lukenbach is. And and that's when Willie got tired of being told that he wasn't country enough and that they didn't like what he sung, and he didn't like the sound of it. They didn't like the arrangement he used because he played it so different. He put so many extra chords in, in his music that they didn't like it. So he said, well, hell with it. I'm just going to go back and go to Texas and sing what I want to sing. <laughs> and that's kind of what he did. He ended up going back to Texas and saying, okay, let me reinvent myself to what I want to be. Let me go back to what my grandparents taught me music was. And do it. And that's what I think Lukenbach is. It's, it's Willie trying to be the real Willie instead of the Nashville Willie when he was in a three piece suit with his hair slicked back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his album Shotgun Willie is like a contemporary of this one. It's, this is that, that moment, right? Um, that this, right. Uh, that this is written and, and performed. Yeah. And yeah, it sort of is like a, it's almost like a space where people go to invent themselves as Jerry Jeff Walker did then. Yeah. Michael, do you have um, anything to say about Lukenbach? Willie, uh, Waylon Jennings only played one show in Lukenbach, Texas, his entire life, and it was in 1996. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> 20 years yeah. after Lukenbach, Texas, Back to the Basics, Basics of Love came out. That's crazy. Um, uh, but, but, I mean, it's it's what I'm saying. Outlaw Country, I hesitate to call it a marketing term, although it is a marketing term. There's so much self-mythologization in it. It's it's these people like making up personas and then pretending that those personas are who they really are. And of course, I mean, Waylon Jennings didn't write Luke and Buck, Texas. And my understanding is he didn't even really want to record it. Mm. Well, and it doesn't also it also doesn't capture what Luke and Buck, Texas actually is. They, um, in that song, it's sort of like this simple, small town. Right. But the actual Luke and Buck, Texas was a, an abandoned like ghost town. That mm-hmm. some guy named Hondo Crouch bought for thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> he bought it for thirty thousand dollars, and then because he owned the town, he could do whatever he wants zoning wise with the uh, with the dance hall, and he decided to create this this outpost for weirdos, right? Um, in the uh, in the dance hall, in the Lukenbach dance hall. So it's not even what the song describes it as. <laughs> it's a very it's a very strange thing. And the guy's name, Hondo Crouch. I mean you can't even you can't even make that up. You should start going by Hondo Anderson. <laughs> I do have a nice collection of bolo ties actually. I, I I'm a big fan of bolo ties. I, I should just start wearing bolo ties and go by Hondo. <laughs> First day of class in the spring I'll do that. Well, um <laughs> Just, just put Je- on a fake accent and say you're from Texas. <laughs> Who would know? The, the story is when Jerry Jeff went down to Lukenbach to record this album, that the guys asked him, he says, are, are you coming down here to record or you just come down here to drink beer? He said, probably drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I guess going back to what Michael's saying then, even the space is like, an invention. I, I've, I've long wanted to write something about outlaw country being a form of postmodernism. It's sort of like country music's version of postmodernism. And, um, and I think for the very reasons that you're talking about, it, it's sort of like inventing a myth that you then live by. Right. And, uh, and, and it, that goes all the way into the space in which this thing is recorded. Um, and I guess the album title was basically there was a bumper sticker on the wall of, of the post office or something like that in Lukenbach. And, that, and they just like that made, he made that the title of the album. And yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating story. Um, there's a, there's a chili cook off with that name in there. And that what that it came from. 
I think the, that's right. There's a giant chili cook-off that happens out there, and it's in that little town. That's another town, I think, is what it is, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's interesting. I did know that they do – it is like a festival town, right? It's a place where they have, mm-hmm. uh, before COVID at least, musical festivals and, and giant chili cook-offs. And it's – I mean, I am ima- I'm imagining it. I've never been down there. I've never really been to Texas. I think I flew through it once. But um, I'm imagining it as being sort of like – a, a Texas version of Burning Man or something or something like that. <laughs> I, can, I can scarcely imagine what that would look like. Uh, when, when, if you go to the uh, the Luckenbach Texas Wikipedia page, there is a picture of the interior of the Luckenbach dance hall, and it looks pretty much exactly like what you think it is. Uh, it's 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 a bunch of uh, picnic tables. They don't have real seats. It's just picnic tables, and then um, this tiny stage. I like the number of people. Who were who were on this album? The the stage must have been absolutely packed um, for the for the recording of it because uh, it is it is it is a very very small stage. And again, that actually reminds me of what I would expect music to be like in the '60s in Greenwich Village, right? Um, and, and even when I lived in New York City, I used to go to these little open mics, and they had these tiny, tiny stages with people crammed onto them, and and in the village, and and yeah, I think that uh, to me that's it's a it's like a crossing of these two ostensibly distinct cultures right um and somehow he makes them work as one distinct new thing um and yeah i think i think it's just fantastic so on that note like who is the audience for this album all the buckaroos out there right That's that is who he that's who he addresses it to. You're right, Scamp Walker. He, he introduces himself in that first song, right? And, and uh, yeah, so who's a buckaroo? I suppose then uh, the buckaroos are all the the wannabe outlaw country people mm. that can't sing and just they. Uh, it, I guess to him they were all the people around Austin, as Michael had said earlier, all the rednecks and the hippies. And everything, and he was trying to say, "Okay, can I can I move it up here to Lukenbach uh, and get and keep this thing going? What what we have down in Austin, and move it to a different location?" But I don't think he was ever really successful with that because Austin became its own thing with the South by Southwest a little bit that he hung more into than he did going back to the Lukenbach festivals more. I imagine Austin is a more exciting place to live than Lukenbach. I think it fit his uh, Greenwich Village style a little bit better. Yeah, that's interesting. Go ahead, Michael. You go ahead, Danny. Well, no, I was just thinking about, like, you brought up Greenwich Village, and and I do feel like, again, that is to me – it's almost like he's inventing an audience for this album as he's recording it, right? I don't know that – there is a there is a, a a ready-made market for it. I this is probably why this never made it to country radio in my where I was listening to country radio at least in Ohio. Um and it, because it doesn't like fit neatly into any kind of marketing slot and and I think that um this is before we had a thing called alt country. This would clearly be alt country. A couple of these songs on here I can't believe I, I I feel like Jason Isbell has covered them, but um, but I can't actually place him covering something like the wheel. Seems like something he would have written in, in himself, right? Um, it really does, yeah. And, and I feel like um, now we have a place, an audience for an album like this. But I think it was being invented with this album. I guess is what I'm thinking. I would love to know. And, and Dad, you're going to have to be the one who tells us this. Um, I know you didn't hear this in 1973, but if you had, like, given what was on country radio, given what people were listening to in country music, how dangerous would this album have sounded? I don't know that it would have sounded dangerous. I think it would have been hard to classify, and that's why you never heard it on the country stations. You know, uh, the station I listen to now, Michael, is K-Pig. This is a K-Pig album. It's not a country. Yeah, do uh, you want to make a pitch for K-Pig? Because I imagine a lot of sectarian <laughs> review listeners would enjoy that station. That's a great K-Pig, name. K-Pig is a, is, was the first streaming radio station in the world. And they ended up having to sell out uh, to a certain degree. 
because they got ended up getting sued from uh, the two artist guilds because they weren't paying loyalties on everything royalties on everything that every one of their listeners even though you used to could free stream it for free they have their own djs that play what they want to play mm. the which is great and it's bad <laughs> because you might hear the same song twice in a row or you might hear it three times in four hours you know <laughs> because but they don't they each dj comes on and does their own thing and they'll they'll do everything from the stones to the beatles to John Hyatt, to uh, Jerry Jeff, to you name it, to some indie person you never heard of. They do the Bottle Rockets. They, they play a lot of the Bottle Rockets, uh, uh, you know. And they, they're they just, they play songs also when they play by the artist. They won't play necessarily the A cut off the albums. They'll play what they want to play. And they bring their own th- own tapes in and, and play them off of those. But it's a it's a super thing. If you do kpig.com and look at it, I think it costs like uh, $50 a year to stream it. And that's what I listen to all day long when I work normally. It's what, and it, it, it's it just, seems to me Jerry Jeff is kind of inventing that format with this album. I think so, because it he's trying not trying to not fit himself into anybody's box. You know, he's trying to stay where he wants to stay. And it's a hard thing to do <laughs> and make money too, which is the other thing he was trying to do was make money. <laughs> sure. It must've been even harder in 70. Well, maybe not. I mean, I think it's almost impossible to make a living as a musician now. And it was at least possible in 1973, but, but kind of existing outside of that Nashville mainstream must've been very, very difficult for, for, for somebody like him, especially Willie Nelson, you know, had, had written songs that were hits. I mean, he was at least, he was at least a semi-known quantity, whereas Jerry Jeff Walker, you know, who who in who in country music would have known him? Yeah, I feel like Jerry Jeff. In, in a lot of ways, he kind of reminds me of like I don't know, sort of like Tom Waits, not in style, but he's sort of like all of your favorite musicians' favorite musician, right? And so I think mm-hmm. his, his audience is other people who recognize like the craft in those songs. Um, and, and they then kind of translate that for a more popular audience. I, I, if you can, if you understand what I'm saying. And uh, when he's, he's the intermediary between some people who were even more underground, at least at the time than he was. Right. Cause you, you've got the guy Clark song, Desperado is waiting for a train. Right. And you've got the Ray Wiley Hubbard song up against the wall, redneck mother, your favorite. Yeah. And, You've got the Gary P. Nunn song, London Homesick Blues, which would become the theme song to Austin City Limits. Ah. Um, so Gary, Gary P. Nunn must have made a billion dollars <laughs> off, which, of, off which of that Gary, song. Gary P. Nunn didn't really want to record. Jerry Jeff Walker almost forced him to record that song. That's hmm. funny. And, yeah, and, he wrote he wrote it when he got back from London. It, you know, so it's his actual experience in London. And he just didn't think it was a good song to record. He, you know, he said, I just wrote this song to kind of tell my story. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't write it to record it. Hmm. Well, I, uh, I imagine he, he is grateful that Jerry Jeff made him record it. <laughs> yeah. And he does seem like a, a kind of mentor to a lot. I mean, there's almost like a, a, a distinctly Texas. I, I suggested yeah. we do a, a, a city of man on Texas by itself. Cause it is its own kind of world of country music uh, apart from like Western swing. Right. Um, even, I mean, that alone is its own kind of world. Right. But um, there's this other like Texas, almost like ranch hand songwriting, like cowboy poetry, almost um, tradition. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Jeff Walker fits into that. The re- one, I mean, uh, aside from the um, Lukenbach, Texas reference, the only other reason I know him is that he recorded um, some songs by this singer, this other obscure Texas singer that I, I like a guy named Chris wall. I think I mentioned him on one of the shows um, who I discovered on one of these like internet radio stations too. Um, he has a really great song called, I feel like Hank Williams tonight that um, Jerry Jeff Walker recorded um, later on. And that's, that's how I kind of know of him as this person who sort of like recognizes and supports um, other sort of idiosyncratically Texas musicians. Right. And, and, and I feel like, yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing, but it can't be as commercially lucrative as as uh, as being you know in Nashville, I suppose. Right, and being George Jones. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. No, nothing against George Jones, who I, I think has a has a pretty good claim to being the best singer in in the history of country music. But you know, his stuff is much more commercial than than this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is. I mean, almost. I feel like this is for both, like you know, bar rats and people who have <laughs> and people who have advanced degrees. Right. This is country music. <laughs> For for people with master's degrees and 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 it's for people who just got out of jail. Like uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's bikers, working. lawyers, and hippies. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Um, um, yeah, your Elizabeth Warren country music fan will uh, will love Jerry <laughs> Jeff Walker. And so, um, <laughs> so I'm always picking on Elizabeth Warren. Um, anyway, so um, well, I think we should spend quite a bit of time talking about some of the particular songs um, because they're all really interesting. And and Mike, let me just start with you. Like, um, I agree that "Getting By" song is is really really awesome. But I mean, you can talk about whatever kind of particular songs like stand out to you and. And sort of talk about what's great about them, maybe. Well, I think on on that album, really the the two that off of that album that I like the best are uh, "Backsliders Wine" and "Getting By on Getting By." Mm. And and uh, the reason I like those two more than some of the others is those are Jerry Jeff Walker songs. You know, up against a wall, redneck mothers is always going to be David Allen Cole to me. Mm-hmm. He owns that song as far as I'm concerned because of no David Allen Cole did that song. Oh yeah. He's, he's did the most famous version of that. He was the one they played on the radio all the time. Interesting. I mean, it yeah. sounds like a David it, Allen Cole. Really That's what I'm saying. Funny. He owns that song as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, and a couple of these other songs that he that where he covers other people's songs, he does good versions of them. They're different versions, but they're not the ones that I call. Even what's weird to me, Bo, Mr. Bojangles is not his song to me, and it's because of who I heard it so much from. I heard it from Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Yeah, That's I'm, who was best version mm-hmm. at the time that I was growing up. Yep. When, and, you know, that was one of the reasons uh, that that I liked that band was because of that song and the way they did the song. And but I, I think if you if you listen to the getting by on getting by, which is kind of a real upbeat song. And then the, and then the backsliders wine, that kind of to me, it kind of covers him very well. Yeah, Backsliders Wine is a really great song. That's actually written by Michael Martin Murphy, um, right. who, who goes on to actually become a pretty prominent country singer in the 80s. I remember him um, being always on the charts in the 80s, and I always thought he was just some sort of a pop country guy, and I didn't realize he had this really deep sort of like cowboy song, um, like um, – body of work and then when i saw that he had written this i started looking back into him and he actually has a really interesting career so yeah back and it's just a great title isn't it backsliders wine it's just like that is that's like craftsmanship in the songwriting just in the title right there right um um michael what about you i love sangria wine <laughs> uh, there's a lot of songs about wine on this album. I, I just think Sangria Wine is such a silly song, and it, it it has this like calypso groove to it. And he sounds in the song like he's been drinking Sangria Wine with Everclear, as he as he suggested. By the way, if you're making Sangria Wine at home, I would not recommend putting Everclear Everclear into the uh, into the wine. I think that's probably going to get you in more trouble than it's worth. But that uh, that is an amazing song that I think really shows off what's great about this. It's not complex. It's kind of stupid. Um, but at the same time, he knows exactly what he's doing. And, and, and there's a there's a polish to it that doesn't read as polish. And the, the other one I really like is the song right after that, Little Bird, um, which is a, a song about some sort of falling apart. And he's just sitting and looking out the window and thinking back on this relationship. And it, it's, it's a weird kind of nostalgic without being nostalgic. He, he, he recognizes that this relationship is over and there's no go back you know, most of the time, probably he's crying about it and he's not even sure he's crying this time. He sees he, he's looking at his reflection in the window pane and he can't tell if he's crying or if it's the the rain on the outside of the window. Uh, and I, I think that's a good song with a really great uh, vocal. 
Yeah, I, I agree. That's one of my favorites as well. Um, and and it like has this um, really great like melody to it. I, I don't know how to I don't know how to describe the melody. I, I don't have a background in in sort of musicology, right? And so I, I don't. Um, I'm sure there are terms I could use to sort of um, describe the melody. But it, it one thing that stands out to me about the songs on this album and that one in particular is that the melodies aren't like rote country melodies that you've heard a million times, right? They, they're very, they're surprised. They take surprising turns. And that's a song in which I think you see that happening. Um, and, and I, I love that image of seeing him as his own image in the window pane and not being able to tell if he's crying or if it's the, the water on the, uh, on the pane from the rain. It's, it's really, really a beautiful song. Uh, and that's a song that actually dates back um, to the to the Mr. Bojangles era of his career. And I haven't heard the original version. Maybe I should have listened to that before I came on the show today. But um, that that's an old one for him. Yeah, I, Wheel, I go Wheel ahead. Is also an old one. In Wheel, an old one also. I, that, that, I don't know. I think um, that was written about his father. It, it that sure. the the content of the song is definitely about that right and um and that wouldn't surprise me at all if if that were an older song that is one of my favorite songs it's very haunting um and that's another one where the melody yeah that song is brutal yeah um the both the imagery and the melody right um and his vocal performance it all works together in this just really i mean it's it's a great piece of art in that way um and like i said i felt like I've seen Jason Isbell perform like three times live. Like, I feel like I've heard him sing this song, <laughs> but I can't find a record of it. Right. Because maybe it just seems like a song he would sing so much. Um, and even like, I feel like it establishes the kind of melodies that he comes up with now. And, and I don't know that you get Jason Isbell without Jerry Jeff Walker, honestly. No, I think, I think that what that song does that Jason Isbell does is it, it has this kind of hidden philosophical reflection that never comes immediately to the surface. So you have to dig for it. And, and what, what's, what's on the surface instead is, is a story that's very, very specific. And so in this case, it's the story. He has, there's an old man who dies when a tractor falls on him. And his father dies when his Jeep gets blown up in World War II. And his brother dies in a car accident. And you, you have this repeated image of a wheel turning. Yeah. And I mean, the the... The implication, right, is that time is repeating itself. You, you have this kind of cyclical um, horror that's happening. But he never comes out and says that. He never talks about the wheel of time. It's just this wheel. So you do the work to uh, to figure it out. And, and there's something very satisfying in that. And Isbell is the best in his generation at that sort of song. Yeah, a song like Elephant um, um, does something like that. It tells a very specific story that or, has this immense... Or Dream Sickle from his new album. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you've heard that one. I have, yeah. yeah. Or Children of Children from uh that man, Children of Children to me is the best Jason Isbell song, but this isn't an episode about Jason Isbell, so <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, I, I don't I mean it lends itself to talking about Jason Isbell because I think this album does kind of invent the um the market for someone like Jason Isbell, right? Um and not only the inspiration for the what kind of thing he does. I mean I've never heard him actually talk about Jerry Jeff Walker, but man, I hear so much of 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 this in Jason Isbell. It is is amazing. Um the um the ones I mean we gotta talk about up against the wall. Um that I mean that song is just to me it like captures what I love about this album. It's this raucous like barroom anthem, right? That's making fun of rednecks, right? It's very clearly an answer song to um, Oki from Muskogee, right? It, it's sort of like um, it, it kind of like makes fun of the same people that that song may be also making fun of. But um, but it's also but it, it but it's not mean spirited. It's like a song making fun of those people that those people would also like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I just think that it, right, it's, yeah. it's such a really it's not clear weather. Go ahead. It's not, it's not clear whether like the sympathy is with the hippies who are getting their asses kicked or with the redneck who's kicking their asses. Exactly. Do you know the, the story behind the song? Uh, no, I don't. I don't want to hear it, though. Okay. Ray Wiley Hubbard was went into this roadhouse bar to buy a case of beer. And inside the bar was this drunk woman and her son who and Ray Wiley had long hair. And the guy, the guy asked his mother if, she, if he want, 
she wanted him to whoop his ass. So and he went outside, and that's when the bumper sticker said, "Rather be a roper than a doper." <laughs> he was a you know a cowboy. So that's that's the that's the the story behind that song, which makes it makes it really uh, kind of cuts through. It's not maybe as deep as you think it is. It's it's more more in this, and then it just applies. I'm sure. His whole life story is kind of in this too, but I just I just thought it was funny that because I never had heard it, I, I went and looked it up just to see why he wrote that song, and that's why he wrote it. He went in to do that, and he was you know he was kind of like David Allen Coe. He was wondering if he was going to get out of there alive because you know they were all the rednecks in there, and here he was with the long hair. <laughs> and I just I think it's such a great story, right? And uh, yeah, and and I guess that's just what's so charming about this album is that its politics are so like not simple, right? Um, we, it's we have these stupid simple politics today, and this 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 like, obliterates the simplicity of these politics. We don't know where the lines are in here, and it's just it's fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, Michael, what do you have to say about this song? Uh, it's very, very funny. <laughs> I've never understood what up against the wall means, though. I always took it like he was being arrested or something. Uh, but I, I uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, no, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> but but then like the up against the wall redneck. I, you know, I knew the title of the song long before I ever heard it, and I always assumed "mother" was short for another word that we can't say on this network. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> no, but it's, no, but it's, it's not. <laughs> Mothers whose wives their sons so well. That yeah, makes more sense. <laughs> right, it's a now, literal right? mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great, and that's, I guess, one of the, another piece of the craft, right? It, it's, it doesn't have like a very simple takeaway meaning, right? You could sort of just sit there and ponder what it means, um, even though it's a comedy song, right? And, um, and it's very funny. And I could just imagine being in that hall. Like singing that, raising my glass up with all these people that come from all walks of life, screaming these lyrics together, right? It's just, it's that kind of a song. Like, and, uh, I just think it's kind of a, it's a beautiful, like, communion almost. It's a, it's kind of a comical, uh, Texas version of communion, uh, in, in that way. And I, I really think it's kind of awesome. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun too. Um, um, so we're like approaching, you know, like the close of the show. So I wanted to kind of give some time for you guys to say whatever else that you wanted to bring to this conversation. Um, I didn't exactly know how to organize this one. Um, Mike, do you want, I want to start with you. Okay. Again, to me, the big thing that I, I think I told Michael this week that to me, if you think back on it and look at it from a distance now, that maybe Jerry Jeff Walker was the first urban cowboy. He was, mm -hmm. again, playing a role of being somebody that he really wasn't, and he wanted people to think he was. And he played it very well, even to the point of uh, the the music, the chords that he learned, on a, that he played on the guitar and different things. All of it's very country when you look at it. And then he knew how to pick guys to cover, like Guy Clark, Guy Clark and Ray Wiley Hubbard. You know, if you're going to pick somebody to cover, those are those are good guys to cover their songs because they do a good job of it. Yeah, Guy Clark also just died recently, didn't he? Um, yeah, last year. Yeah, last fall. And that, that's another gap in my knowledge. I'm a huge Rodney Crowell fan, and I know Rodney Crowell and him were very close and uh, and worked together a lot. And I, I I need to listen to some Guy Clark as well. Um, and the song that he from him on here, Desperado's Waiting for the Train, is uh is amazing. It's a really great song. So. That's another song with a misleading title because you you hear that title and you think it's going to be a cowboy song and what it's very very modern, yeah. right? This is this is about this is about somebody Guy Clark's age hanging out with an old man and watching him die. Yeah, you know it's it's not um, it's not a song about cowboys at all except in as much as this old man has a kind of cowboy mythology attached to him. And the train is a metaphor for death as the wheel is in, uh, in uh, the other song, right? Um, which goes to Mike's point about um, Jerry Jeff Walker being like an urban cowboy, right? Um, it, it, isn't, it isn't really of the Old West, right? It is, it is, of, is as much of Greenwich Village as it is anything else. And in a lot of ways, I guess he kind of 
predates Alan Jackson's Gone Country. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, that, that's the other side of that. I think you said that too, Dad, when you were yeah, talking about Yeah, I did. That was my second backup with that is, uh, you know, he's gone country. Look at them boots. <laughs> and he, he saw, he, he, there's a line in there about uh, the stuff they're doing ain't too much different than Dylan, which I thought about when you said that earlier, Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talking about him and Dylan. You know, he, he could see uh, his classical music coming back in, making it making a play in with it. Yeah, and Dylan, what, five years before this, is doing legit country songs. Isn't that when about Nashville Skyline comes out? Um, That's 69. Yeah. yeah, 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 four years before this. And so, yeah, the, this is uh, there is a moment where those kind of clear divisions are sort of breaking down. Um, and we talked a little bit in the City of Man podcasts about – the diversion between folk and country. Right. And, and, and Jerry Jeff Walker represents a kind of convergence um, of those two distinct streams, I think, um, particularly on this album. So, yeah. And the other person I'm looking up, I'm trying to look up the date here. Yeah. It's 73. The other person who puts out an album that sounds very much like this in 1973 is Graham Parsons. So Graham Parsons, first solo album gp is january 1973 just a few months before this and 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 i think the albums sound very similar and yet the graham parsons album gets filed as rock and this gets filed as country so that's interesting to me because i think you could definitely make a case that gp is an outlaw country album rather than a country rock album and and this this album has if nothing else get it out is certainly a country rock song yeah when does sweethearts of the rodeo come out by the birds that's 68 yeah so yeah there is a, a real I, uh, I do you think it's sort of the breakdown is there some sort of breakdown in folk music that is causing a dissatisfaction and a run towards country um by people from that scene like i i, I just find i'm now that i've never thought about this i'm just sort of thinking out loud is there some is there I, an exhaustion um with folk music in by the late 60s well Look at the, if you look at the birds, um, we you know we kind of have an image of the birds as doing one thing, but really every album that they put out was a little different, and and I mean they they cycled through styles very very quickly. Um, so when they get to country rock, it it just kind of it kind of feels logical in retrospect because they'd already done folk, they'd already done psychedelic, they'd already done. Um, I guess they'd already done kind of country rock with the notorious bird brothers. So when they, when they put out sweethearts at a rodeo, it feels, it feels like it's in a line with what they've been doing. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's a kind of weird conservatism to, to folk music. Right. And, and so it makes sense that the, the people who were making folk rock would also look back at this other older style of music and try to update it as well. Although Sweethearts at a Rodeo is is scarcely updated, right? I mean, that's a country album more than a rock album. Yeah. Mike, you were going to say something. No, I think Michael covered it. I was I was I was going to cut him off there, but uh, I I think what he's covering is just the progression of them. And when you look at at, at people who, who are in this era, there's a thing with uh, Southern rock is what what this reminds me more of than country. Mm. And the people tend to think of Southern rock more of uh, when you think of the Allman brothers, it's a little bit harder rock than this, but it's kind of mm. all in that same genre. And that's also mid seventies. When you start talking about what's going on in the mid seventies, that's when all of that culture starts coming through and everybody, uh, what musicians are like uh, football coaches they're great copiers. Whatever somebody else, whatever somebody else does, it's successful. They want to copy it and do something similar to it. So they still want to remain true to themselves in their mind, but they still want to copy it. And I think that's what Jerry Jeff was good at doing that because he would take the songs and when he would cover them, he would change it just a little bit with his vocal style and maybe the arrangement a little bit differently. He actually changes the lyrics to Up Against the Wall, Redneck Mother, um, fairly significantly. And and not always for the best. And, you know, he has that that part in the bridge where he's spelling out what mother stands for. Yeah. <laughs> and T in, in Jerry Jeff's version is for T-Bird. But in Ray Wiley Hubbard's version, it's for Dolly Parton. Oh. No, 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 no. That, that's, uh, that's in uh, David Allen Cole's version. Oh, is yeah, it? Dolly, Dolly Parton? Right, 
I'm looking at the lyrics from Ray Wiley Herbert, and T is for T-Bird, H oh, is okay. for E is for egg, and R is for redneck. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Dolly Parton being the T. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was David Allen Cole's version. <laughs> that is that is amazing. That is peak David Allen Coe. Actually, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I'm just thinking. If we're talking about this. I just feel like if you drew a a Venn diagram of all these different musical styles and moments, like this album represents a very small circle that bridges many, almost all of them, right? There's, there's a connection to so many different things, uh, in this, uh, little, little album recorded in Luke, Lukenbach, Texas. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's just, it makes it a fascinating little cultural, like artifact. I can't believe that I'm like almost angry that I hadn't discovered it before now, right? It's like one of these things that like, why haven't I heard of this before? Well, and I, um, I found it, I was telling you earlier, Danny, that I found it, um, for 99 cents at a used record store. And I, I bought it just cause I, just cause of, I, I, I knew that he had put out this album and, you know, I knew who Jerry Jeff Walker was from the, the Waylon Jennings song. And I, I bought it and man, it was worth 99 cents. That's for sure. <laughs> was that on vinyl? It was. Yeah. And, and I mean, now might be the time to point out there haven't been a whole lot of reissues of this album. Um, I think there was a CD reissue in 1990. I was looking it up on Discogs and there was a, there was a CD reissue in 1990 and that's it. I mean, you, you would think there'd be some sort of deluxe edition of this because it's considered really seminal for the perennially popular outlaw country movement, but it's not. I mean, they, they haven't put out a new version of this in 30 years. Who, who owns the label, Michael? Who was, you know, I don't know. Let me let me look. MCA. Ah. Uh, okay. Musician Cemetery of America. <laughs> that may explain why they haven't put out another one, right? That's true. Yeah, that's that's uh that might be the worst record label in history. Just ask Leonard yeah. Skinner. <laughs> yeah. That's that's why I was saying I, I thought it was MCA, but I wasn't sure. Because I think he had only signed with MCA like three months before he released that album and all the people at MCA thought it was the worst idea for an album they'd ever heard, which sounds like MCA. It's it's really amazing how few executives in the entertainment industry have any kind of imagination. We were watching, we were watching a program on Netflix last night about elf and the executives at new line cinema hated elf and they thought it was going to be a huge flop. Oh geez. Yeah. Now it's like, and then, then old school came out and they wanted to make it more like old school. Or you think of like Jeffrey Katzenberger saying that Toy Story needed to be more cynical. It's just it, it's it's amazing how few people in positions of authority at these at these at these entertainment companies have any idea about anything about quality. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's uh yeah, th- that's sort of like the story of every Hollywood mo- every movie about Hollywood, right? As uh <laughs> um it's, it's the Barton Fink uh like story and uh and the same thing goes with the music business which is why Willie Nelson goes down to Texas right and um right and, and is finally allowed to do the kind of thing he he does and, be, and that finally becomes Willie Nelson after he's 40 right <laughs> he doesn't really become Willie Nelson until he's in his 40s it's uh it's, well and and his career is is one expansion of country music after another, right? I, I, my understanding is the executives at whatever record, maybe it was MCA, um, didn't want him to put out Stardust. Because hmm. uh, who's going to want to listen to him singing uh, pop standards? Well, everybody would. It was a huge hit and it's a great album, right? So, I, yeah, there's something about um, something about being in control of a, of a media conglomerate just makes you a total idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the tomato gate thing, right? Um, that's uh, it goes back to that that whole story. Um, so the one thing I just want to add to this then is that I you know never really thought of Jerry Jeff Walker because you never heard of him on the radio, right? Um, I never really thought of him as part of that outlaw scene. And listening to this album, this is sort of like almost like the DNA of the outlaw scene. This is this mm-hmm. is not just a part of it. This is essential to it in in a lot of ways, and. The thinking about, I've always wondered about, I mean, like how that develops, like how does the outlaw scene develop? And I've always put so much of it on Willie Nelson, right? And, and to, for, I mean, certainly he's a huge part of what becomes the outlaw scene. But I also feel like, um, some of the energy that, um, Jerry Jeff Walker brings from the folk scene, um, that's an unexpected, um, 
developmental stage for the outlaw scene for me. Like I would have never kind of like thought of that, but this album has me thinking of outlaw country as a kind of, as a development of folk music, uh, as a, of Greenwich village style folk music. And I, I think that that was something that's kind of surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And so anything uh, without polish, right? I mean, that's, that, that's the thing. It's, it's all, it's all these sorts of music come together as long as they're not, um, as long as they're not super, uh, super commercial. And then, I mean, the irony is it ended up being super commercial, right? <laughs> well, in that way, it's the same thing as punk music then, but just like, five ten years before punk right um uh, and so th- that's that was the same kind of diy aesthetic of punk music was that it was a reaction against overly produced and overly polished um pop music and so um yeah outlaw country is the punk or the country version of punk in that way um or so, punk is the rock version of outlaw country i guess chronologically you would put it that way you're right yeah that, that's a good point so, well, fellas, um, I, I'm kind of out of things to say. I, I, uh, any kind of final thoughts from you all? No, I think I've covered it for me. <laughs> we have mentioned Willie Nelson a lot and we probably owe it to our audience to say that, uh, Willie's harmonica player, Mickey Raphael plays on, uh, on this album, at least on a couple tracks. So like the Willie Nelson connection is not as strong as the Guy Clark or Riley Hubbard connection, but it's there. I mean, Mickey Raphael, probably the, the greatest living harmonica player. Um, but he, he, he does kind of tie this to Nelson. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I did not know that you, you, Michael are so much more knowledgeable about music that, and you sort of know all these like session people that, um, I was, I would be totally unaware of. Um, by the way, you should go back and listen to the city of, or the, uh, the Christian humanist podcast about a love supreme. That was amazing. By the way. So, um, oh, thank you. Yeah. No, that was good stuff. And so, um, well, guys, um, thanks again. This was like so much fun. Um, the prep for this show, I've enjoyed the prep for this show more than any. <laughs> podcast i recorded in in the longest time because of the album is just so fun so much fun uh and i've also really enjoyed the conversation um it's a really great um time for me to spend with both the farmer boys um (laughs) michael (laughs) and mike farmer thanks again for joining us for another episode of the sectarian review podcast thank you 